Aloha, my church family, my ohana. It is so good to be back. Uh, my trip was amazing. I'll talk more about it in two weeks when we cover the commandment about coveting. Um, a big mahalo, thank you to uh, staff and volunteers and many who uh, worked hard in my absence. Pastor Dan preached three sermons in a row, three weeks in a row. That's a, that's a heavy... Yeah, he's out of town now, too. So, um, But, you know, that's a lot. And, and uh, the, the of week-to-week preaching. So, And thank you, uh, Free Christian Church, for being supportive continually of me and my family and opportunities to rest and recharge. And you've been very generous. But thank you, too, for being the church. So whether I'm here or I'm not here, or whether you're here or not here, that we have committed not just to being a church that gathers together, we've committed to gather, to worship, and to equip one another, but we're committed to being the church scattered. So wherever you go, when we're not together, that you're God's people, and you're out there, and you're living out your life for Christ in the places where he's put you, and so we do that, and you've done that um, when I'm here and when I'm absent, so praise God for that. And it's, it is good to be back um, last week, former student of mine and friend, Greg Cook, he died, and I know a lot of you knew him and his family, and uh, some of you, a lot of just outpouring of support for the Cook family. Some of you waited two hours in line to, to greet at the visitation. People came in this room, and, and our greeter said to them, hey, we're looking at maybe up to a two-hour wait to see the family, and people said, hey, that's fine. No, essentially, I'm not here because this is convenient. I'm here to love and support this family and, and let them know that. And so, um, praise God, you know, nearly 800 people came through here. Just a, a wonderful celebration of, of life for Greg on Friday. So thank you to everyone who helped. There was a lot of people who stepped up to make that possible, to open our doors to our community. And so I just wanted to say thank you for that as well. So today, this morning, our task, uh, back to our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. This is a very uh, predictable sermon series. If you have a Bible, you could see what's coming each week. You could figure this out. I do love this sermon series, and I have loved uh, journeying through this. Because for us, as followers of Jesus, the Ten Commandments aren't just law. They're not a rule list for us, or not simply a rule list. They are a way of life. In Jesus Christ, where we can follow him, it's just a beautiful way of life. And even so much more in Jesus, that we don't have to look at these commands and just have this continued feeling of of guilt, because we're covered by his grace. And the more I look through this list of commands, and the the more I see how Jesus uh, taught them and applied them, um, below the surface of these behaviors, there's a heart. That's, that can be out of line with God's way. I, I realize how badly I need his grace to follow him. I need a changed heart. And that's exactly what God gives us. A new heart, a changed heart that desires to, um, to, to follow his way. And so I see a list of rules like this and I actually get excited for God to lead me into this good and to a better path. Um, I'm excited to work on it and to, to grow in these things. Um, These commands become our joy to follow. 
And so it's, and it's not about trying to impress God. It's not about um, earning God's favor. God has given me his favor in Jesus Christ. And now my response to what he's given me is to live a life um, of goodness for him. So I hope you feel encouraged by this. I think it could be easy. If we get our eyes off of Jesus, it could be easy to feel um, guilt or just kind of feel bad about ourselves. But we'd be missing the whole point if we did that. You know, in the gospel, you're declared guilty. We're all guilty before the Lord. That's just a, a done accusation. But in Jesus Christ, and by his righteousness, we're declared righteous before God, forgiven and free. And, and he gave that to us freely. Uh, and then his, that, that same grace that erases my guilt, it moves us towards his way. That's what this is all about. And that's what we're doing. So today, we're tackling this command you shall not steal, or you may have learned it, thou shalt not steal. This must be the most straightforward commandment, right? No. It actually, this one actually impacts everyone in this room. And so I want to just cover this morning, what is stealing? Why do we steal? And then how do we not steal? Or how do we become non-thieves the way that Jesus uh, described that? And it's actually harder than, than you might think up front. So let's dig in. Let's pray, though. Father, your, it's your grace. That's what this is all about. You extending your love and your grace to us, your people. You committing yourself to us to be our God, to be our guide. And we, we perhaps have even felt the presence of your Holy Spirit already. And we desire to, to know your spirit's teaching and leading in this time as we, as we consider your word and we consider our own lives in light of that, Lord. So do your good work in this time, we humbly ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what is stealing um, exactly? I'm going to use a definition from Jen Wilkin. Uh, she wrote this book, uh, Ten Words to Live By. We, we have stolen her title for our sermon series. Uh, she says, stealing is gain at someone else's unwilling expense. That's a really good definition. Ironically, I got back from my trip, and I'm looking, I'm preparing, and I'm looking around my office for my, my book, and I can't find it. And I text Dan. I said, hey, have you seen my Jen Wilkin book around? And he said, oh, my goodness, I, I, it's in my backpack. I took it um, when he left town. I'm like, well, thanks for the sermon illustration, <laughs> you thief. Who stole my Jen Wilkin book? I mean, this is a companion resource we've been using among other resources as we prepare. Um, because I'm not much of a thief myself, honestly. I, I have very little interest in stealing. I've stolen very few things in my life. It, I have stolen some things. I'll confess that. It started with a street, some street signs. The one, the one that it bothered me, because in my neighborhood, somebody put up this neighborhood watch sign. In my neighborhood. And I'm thinking, there's no neighborhood watch in my neighborhood. That sign has no place here. And I'm going to prove it by stealing the neighborhood watch sign. And nobody's going to, nothing's going to happen. And sure enough, I stole that sign and nothing happened. And then I thought, well, that was actually kind of thrilling and fun to steal the, could I steal other signs? And there was, I really wanted a stop sign. And there was a, a children at play sign, which I thought was also ironic. Um, so I did that. This whole stealing from the public works continued into um, 
still those flashing lights. So picture a construction site. It's a kind of an orange sawhorse with a yellow flashing light on it. Those are cool if you put them in your bedroom <laughs> at nighttime. So I stole one of those, and then it was okay. But three of them looked even better in my room. So I had three of those. Um, again, I'm not proud of that, but that's it. That's kind of the extent of my stealing. On a trip to Hawaii that I took uh, almost 20 years ago at this point, I took lava off the island. It, Hawaiians would be horrified. Like, you can't steal lava from Pele or their gods or whatever. I'm thinking, my God made all this. And I, at my own peril, true story, there was a lava flow, and at my own peril, I scooped molten lava onto a fork, which I actually, I got the fork from the hotel. But... <laughs> I scooped lava onto this fork and poured water on it and made a rock, and I took that home. And so people see that as stealing. That's just a, it's just lava. There's no shortage of it in Hawaii. Um, and then if you know Pastor Brian Bethke, he, he's the pastor of the Middleton Congregational Church. He will tell you that I stole a glass from a pub in London when we were together. It is not true. Um, I was... I was given the glass. It was meant for me to take. He thinks I stole it. Don't listen to him. <laughs> but that's it. That's not too fascinating. That's the entirety. I just gave you my whole life of, of theft. Um, but I'm fascinated by stealing. Hi, I love heist movies. I love to watch other people steal things, uh, at least depictions of people stealing things. The Oceans movies, the Italian Job movies, the, the old one and the remake, the town um, even more recently, we went to this movie. We saw that new Cruella movie. And this, I, did, I had no interest in seeing this movie, except it was family night. And um, so we went. And it's a kind of, some of it's about high fashion, which I'm just certainly not interested in. And, but halfway through, I'm thinking, this is actually a heist movie. This is pretty good. And I was very much amused by this. The greatest heist scene of any movie uh, is, hands down, the... the when they broke into the vault of Bellatrix Lestrange at Gringotts Bank and the escape from, from that in uh, Deathly Hollows movie, that was, uh, that, that's, that's the greatest heist scene ever depicted. I go to the Isabella Stewart Gardening Museum. There's all this fine art, all this beautiful stuff. All I do is go and stare at the empty frames where they stole the Rembrandts in 1990, the single largest one-time theft property in history, uh, they say. And so I'm just so fascinated. I even love the song called Been Caught Stealing by the band Jane's Addiction. I listen to that song. It's in all my playlists. Why am I so fascinated with stealing when I myself don't steal much, um, <laughs> haven't in my life? But stealing is a real thing. People steal. I mean, and the number one place people steal, workplace. Workplace theft is very common, very small things. Paper clips, stamps. Office supplies is the number one most common thing that peop respectable people steal. Because we often draw the line with stealing, it's like, look, I don't steal like in the movies. You know, I'm, it's, it's kind of harmless the way that, that I steal. If, I don't, if I'm not going to get fired for this, if I'm not going to go to jail, then it's probably not that big of a deal. And we sort of justify theft in our mind. And the, but what's your integrity worth? You know, is your integrity worth more than a few paper clips? Is, I remember once I, re I was given too much change at a coffee shop. And I realized when I got to my car, I went back in. 
And I'm like, here's, it was, it was like 44 extra cents. I said, hey, give me too much change. And the person said, nobody does this. Nobody comes back to, to give the change back. And I'm thinking, why not? I mean, what is, what is integrity worth? Um, I think more than 44 cents, um, but other people, everybody draws the line. Um, but Jesus said, Luke 16, he said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with, with much. So, you know, all these little things, you know, are, where's your heart? And where's our heart in that, Jesus says. And he said, that, that's why I've always been fascinated with, um, with leaders and politicians who have um, been unfaithful, say, to their spouse or who have cheated in various ways. And people will say, well, that's their personal life. You know, in, in their public life, it, it, it's different. We separate those things. I say, why would you separate that? If somebody's going to cheat on their spouse, why would they not cheat on your town or your country? Or if they're dishonest in a small thing, why would they not be dishonest in a big thing? I don't understand how those things get separated. But I think for most of us, however, in small things or big things, we're respectable citizens and we don't do a lot of stealing. But what about stealing time? Say in the workplace. You know, your employer pays you a salary. I don't know if your employer pays you to scroll social media. Probably not. Um, but sometimes time gets stolen by other tasks that we do on our employer's dime. Uh, maybe calling in sick when we are not sick. Stealing ideas. I think it's easy to steal someone else's idea and not give credit where it is due. Um, for you students out there, you know, cheating is a form of stealing. Again, that's gain at perhaps someone else's expense. That's something you didn't earn. Uh, Americans, we love debt, and we acquire great debt. And debt that you can't repay, essentially, is, is theft. You've taken money that, you, is, that is not yours, um, these are all ways that we can steal. But there's other forms of stealing that are, if, if we sort of think about this, you know, gaining from, at somebody else's unwilling expense, you know, what about, what about the land that I live on? You know, the settlers of Andover purchased this land uh, from a local Pentecook tribal chief for six pounds of currency and a coat. And that's depicted in our town seal. There's the the, the chief, and he's holding a bag with six pounds, and he has a coat over his arm, if you're familiar with that. Was that a fair purchase? I don't know what, I don't know. Was there uh, unfair gain there? Then we can ask questions like, have I inherited things in my life through stealing? Did things happen in history past where, past where there was gain at someone else's unwilling expense? For example, slavery in America. That is certainly someone's gain at somebody else's unwilling expense. So to what extent am I responsible for that? Am I participating in today? In, am I participating in that in some way? In a lot of the conversation around uh, justice and race in our country, around those very questions. The way that I consume resources in my life, the products that I use and the things that I have, is that to my own gain at someone else's expense? Are there products that I consume that cost somebody in a faraway place in an unwilling way um, 
because of their working conditions or their economic conditions or even their ecological environmental conditions. The, when you start to think about it on this big scale, is there, you know, it's hard to even um, comprehend where to start, how to respond to this. Now, I'm not going to solve all those today. That, I mean, I'm, and I'm also not avoiding it. I'm just putting it all out on the table for us as we consider Jesus' way of non-stealing, which I actually think speaks to a lot of those issues. Um, but why do we steal? Essentially, we steal because we don't trust God and we don't love people. And that's the heart of the matter. Jesus always got right to the heart of the matter. Jesus was asked, what's the, of all the commands, what's the greatest command? He said the greatest command is love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we steal because we don't love and trust God. And Jesus said the second greatest command is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You would only steal if you did not love your neighbor. Community falls apart when stealing happens. That's why basically every culture and society in the civilized world has some kind of law or prohibition against stealing. Because if everybody's stealing from each other, there's just chaos. And if you've ever had something stolen from you, you know how that feels. It is very, it's not just property, it's very personal. It feels like a violation of, of, your, of your very being. And I've been thinking about things I've had stolen from me in my life. Twice, on two different occasions, I've had guitars stolen from me. Once, in this very room, there was a guitar sitting right where Jim is, right there, and a person, and I left the room, and it came back in, and the person and my guitar were gone. And it, it, it was more than just my property. You know, I worked hard for that. And mu- musical instruments are expensive, so there was that. But it was, you know, I used that to make music. I used that to praise God. And you're just going to take it for your own gain? It felt, it felt much more personal than that person, uh, I think, intended. Um, I just felt so violated. I was, <laughs> I was at a church in um, Honolulu a couple weeks ago, a Blue Water Mission, and I've worshipped there before. And they get up to make the announcements at the beginning of the worship service, and they said, we want to give a report about what God's doing, and we're going to give a report about what Satan's doing in the life of this church. And I thought, that's fascinating. You give kind of, here's what God's doing in our community. You never get the, here's what Satan's doing. So they went on, and he said... Um, God has been working powerfully with this mission trip. Our youth are on a mission trip on a neighboring island, and God's doing all these great things. They're telling stories. He said, but here's what Satan's doing. We went to go pick up the students at the airport, and our church van got stolen. We couldn't pick up our mission trip team, so they're going on about the the van. They found the van, and anyway, the the point is, there's something very evil when, when stealing happens. Perhaps you've had your identity stolen, or somebody's messed with your, fi- your, your um, financial stuff, and that's just to un- undo that and to follow up. It just it feels very personal, and it just very violating, and it's very dehumanizing. The only way that you would willingly steal is you have to dehumanize the person that you're stealing from. That's why when people steal from work, it's like, well, it's, there's no victim. It's just work. You know, it's, it's an organization. They don't care. You know, that you steal from a hotel. I mean, it's not a person. I had a colleague um, uh, from another church. We were working together on a ministry thing 
Went to Home Depot, bought some stuff. They didn't charge him for the stuff. I said, did you go back in and pay for it? He said, no, it's Home Depot. They make tons of money. They don't, it, was, it was a very small thing. It was maybe a couple dollars. I said, well, it's still stealing. It's not yours. He said, no, it's just a big corporation. Don't, it's nothing. You know, you have to, you have to dehumanize in order, because that's a lack of love of, of, a, of a person to want to steal. And also our lack of trust in God, a God who has said, if you follow me, I will provide for you. But when we don't love people and we don't trust God, this is where it all happens. So how do we not steal? How does Jesus want us to do this? And that's where we get to this passage, Matthew chapter 19. And you have this, um, this, young, this young man goes to Jesus and he wants life. He wants this eternal life. And Jesus came. He said, I've, um, he, he said that he... Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. He said that he came to give life abundantly. And, and, and this man said, well, how do I get this life? And Jesus said, well, follow the commandments. Which commandments? Specifically, Jesus says, you shall not steal. And he gives a kind of a list. Uh, you shall not murder, commit adultery, you shall not steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself, as sort of another Old Testament concept and command. And this man says, yeah, I've kept commands. I can keep commands. And Jesus said, okay, yeah, one more thing. I need you to um, go and sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then follow me. And the young man goes away sad because he had great wealth. For Jesus, it's not just following commands. If you want, if you want this life in, in his kingdom, this eternal life, this abundant life that Jesus came to bring us, he said, you, it's not just following the commands. It's not just about not stealing. It's about actually giving away generously. That's, what, that's the heart condition that follows me. And this young man could not live that way. It's the same we've talked about the last couple of weeks. There's the act of murder, so don't do the act of murder, but there's a heart condition behind that. They don't commit adultery. There's the act of adultery, but there's a heart condition behind that. And here, don't steal, but there's a heart condition behind that that not only wants to take, but is unwilling to give. So Ephesians chapter 4, the early Christians, including the Apostle Paul, they understood this teaching. So that's why Ephesians 4.28 is the best verse for this. It says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. That you are not only to not steal, but you are to work hard for the benefit of others, not just for your own benefit so that you can provide for yourself, so that you can provide for others, particularly to those in need, to the disadvantaged. So my role as a follower of Jesus is to work hard to provide for people who are disadvantaged. That's my response to the inclination to steal. Or when I think about theft that has happened um, in the past, I think, well, okay, so my role today is to provide for disadvantaged. Not being generous is a form of stealing in God's eyes. Look at this passage from, from Malachi chapter 3. The prophet says, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. So the, the people were not bringing their, their, their whole tithe that they were 
in the proper offerings to God. And he said, you're stealing when you do that. God had laid out a path of generosity, and they were unwilling to do it. And God says, look, verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will, have, that you will not have room for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines uh, in your fields will, will not cast their fruit, um, says the Lord Almighty. Then the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. In summary, God said, look, if you just trust my way of generosity, you're going to know my blessing in every way. But you're holding back. And he calls it robbing God. Now today, we're not under the Old Testament law, the obligation to tithe, although many people do. And I heard one pastor describe tithing as a training wheels of generosity. That God said, you want to know what generosity is? You want to know what this is? Um, Practice tithing. Willingly live on 90% of your income and give 10% of it away to the Lord. And then if you put those training wheels on and you can willingly live on 90%, you're going to start kind of peddling this path of generosity. It's going it's to show you what that's all about. And many people still practice that today and have experienced the blessing of that. But we essentially have an obligation with our wealth to other people. It's all God's to begin with. He's just trusted us with, us, with it. We're just stewards of it. The stuff that we pursue and put so much value in, God uses it to pave the streets in heaven. It's just concrete. It's just dirt of the ground. And, and yet we, we hold, you know, we, we're inclined to hold it so tight. But it's, it's just a heart condition that just sees it as God's and sees it as an opportunity to bless others. Um, Luke 12 says, you know, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also Jesus taught. And it's such, a big, it's such a big thing. I mean, the Bible talks about money 20 times more than it does about sex. You know, it, 1 Timothy um, 6.10, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This is so true. It's such, a, it's such a heart thing. And that's at the heart of this command here. So what do we do? Next steps. The first is, if, there's any, if, you, if God has, brings to mind any stealing in your life, we need to turn, repent from that, receive God's grace. But again, we don't just stop at non-stealing. Don't become a non-thief, but Jesus said to become radically generous. So we turn from that, whatever that is in your mind that's been brought to mind. Turn from that. How do we turn that into radical generosity? And we pray, God, how can I be more generous with my resources? with my, all of my resources, my money, but my time, my energy, my skills. How can I use all those things to the advantage of others, especially those who are disadvantaged? That's, that's your application. But at the heart of this is God's heart. Do we see God as a giver or a taker? If our definition of stealing is gaining something at someone else's unwilling expense then the gospel of Jesus Christ is the opposite of stealing. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus willingly gives us what we could never gain, what we could never gain on our own. He gives us new and eternal life. Not just from following commands, but from following Jesus, from trusting him, from trusting 
what he accomplished on the cross um, to give us that new life. And he transfers us from this kingdom of darkness, this kingdom of selfishness, this kingdom of taking, into a kingdom of light where we're free to be selfless and to give generously. That's God's heart. And that's what we're pursuing. Let us pray. Father, we pray that the things you bring up in our hearts, that we would uh, respond in faith, Lord. We desire to, to, to walk your way. Give us joy in your way. That not only would we just be non-thieves, but that we would be generous and radically generous. That we, your people, would be known for that. That we would be famous for being generous. Because you are the most generous God. Giving your life for us. So we praise you when we follow you. Help us to trust you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.